0: series, we're having a, a verse that we're looking at. Uh, this, this series, The Hospital, we're looking at a verse in Jeremiah. And um, we're looking at these verses, but but memorizing them and letting them be a, a part of, of God's Word just marinating in us and changing us. Uh, so for this verse, I want to give you a little bit of context before we... we uh, get what's going on. Jeremiah is a prophet in the Old Testament. A lot of you know this already, but he's a prophet, and and what that means is that he's one that God would speak to, and then his role was to speak to God's people, and so he would hear from the Lord, and, and he would deliver that message to the people, but he was also transformed by that word. It wasn't just a word that he gave to others, and it didn't impact him, and so when it was a word that grieved the Lord, it would grieve Jeremiah. If it was a word that brought joy to the lord it would be a word that brought joy to jeremiah in this particular part in jeremiah 8 god was grieving god was hurting for his people and so jeremiah writes from that very same place he writes is there no medicine in gilead is there no physician there why is there no healing for the wounds of my people I want to say this again, but I want you to think of just where you are at right now, okay? If you need to, close your eyes, because I think a lot of us kind of resonate with this a bit. Let me read it again. Is there no medicine in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why is there no healing for the wounds of my people? So Gilead doesn't really mean anything to us. But to people in Jeremiah's time, it did. This was a place near the the Jordan where these trees grew. And within the trees, there was this this balm inside the middle of the tree, like in the sap part. And this was a healing balm. So if if someone had something wrong, like let's say that they had a form of leprosy, a skin disease... They'd go to Gilead. They'd go there and hope that this balm would heal it. Even if bones were broken or disease was in there, they would go to receive this balm, and they would hope that this balm would bring healing. And not surprisingly, where there was balm, doctors, physicians started showing up. They became the people who would administrate this this ointment onto people. And so Jeremiah is using this reference that people at his time would know completely what it was. They would know that this is a reference talking of the space where people would go to receive healing. But he's writing for the people of Israel. And Jeremiah's hope isn't in the balm of that tree. What he's saying here is Is there no medicine in Gilead? Fully knowing that there is medicine available for the illness that we're in. As you look at what he's saying, he's talking of, is there anything that can, can fix this sin that's in our lives? And yeah, this medicine is repentance. He says, is there no physician there? This is, is there anyone who, who can administrate this, who can work within us? It was the prophet Jeremiah then, and the words from God, it is Jesus Now, that we have. What he's pointing out is that there's access to the cure, and there's access to the one who can cure. So why is there no healing for the wounds of my people? There's no healing because I don't. I don't know that the people went to the prophet and to repentance for what it was meant for. I look at us today, and we have been told through Scripture that repentance is is what, what changes our life, that there's the kingdom of God that comes through that, that the Holy Spirit comes to live within us, that we have Jesus who conquered all of this. We know that there is medicine. We know that there is physician. And then we look at our lives. Why is there no healing? We're called together to be the church. And I wonder if we just are misunderstanding what we're here for. If we're not experiencing healing and wholeness together, then maybe we're missing the point a bit. And so in this series, we're going to talk about how we see Jesus and how we see the church and who it is that we collectively are called to be. So before we head out into that big task, I want to pray. I want to ask you to pray with me, okay? Jesus, this is your church. Globally in this country, but even specifically right here, this is your church. And we ask that we would become what it is that you're asking us to become. Change our our hearts, our minds, open our eyes and our ears, allow your word to come alive in us, allow us to inherit all that you have for us. In your name, Amen. All right. Well, first words matter, right? First words that like a, a baby says matters. I remember Carter's first word. You'd never guess it. His first word was Ichiro. He's a baseball player. Other people probably would argue that's not a word. I say that's a word. That's a name. He's a great baseball player. We know our baby's first words. We also know first words that are recorded from people. We pay a lot of attention to how you begin something, right? And and in Jesus' life, his first word should matter. His first sermon should matter. And you know this, but I want you looking at this in the context of this idea of the hospital. So it says that Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath as was his custom. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of God is upon me. Because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind. And to the oppressed go free proclaimed the year of the Lord's favor, and he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, saying, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. His first sermon here, the first passage that he looks at, is about his purpose. And I want you to look at what he's saying here. He's saying first, financially, is there to bring healing? Good news to the poor that this oppression of poverty is to be lifted. If you've been poor for even 10 minutes, you know that that is financial, but it's much more than financial. And so this oppressive feeling and weight of poverty is to be lifted, is to be healed socially, relationally. With a heart towards justice, there's to be healing. He's to proclaim release to the captives. Here we have physical healing, recovery of sight to the blind, socially again, to the oppressed, go free, and then spiritually to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. All these areas of our life, his first sermon, the first text that he opens up is I am here to declare healing and freedom. Yes, that means physically, yes, that means spiritually. Yes, that means relationally and socially, relationally with people you know socially in the structures of our culture. Yes, financially. If you can name an area of your life, he has come to proclaim healing and freedom for you because the way of the kingdom is vastly different than the way of this world. Now, the people who heard this, this is his hometown, right? So they're like, awesome, we're finally somebody. We're going to do this. And they're excited that he gives this word to them. And at the same time, they're like, isn't that Joseph's boy? And he's about to get people to pick up stones and try to hit them. Why? Well, look at what he, what he says next. Look at what he draws attention to next in verse 24. He goes to their history. He says, truly, I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown, But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, and the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a severe famine over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them, except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. So what's going on here? He's saying to his hometown people, hey, this isn't just for you. So there's a healing and a freedom that's to come. But before you get too excited and act like you own it, this is for everybody. This is to people you call outsiders. This is to everyone whom is born in the image of God. This is powerful stuff. His very first sermon is, hey... Every area of your life you could imagine the kingdom of God is breaking through to bring healing and freedom. And by the way, it's not just every part of your life, it's every part of everyone's life. All who believe in me should know this. This is the business of our king, who says for everybody, for all time, wasn't just his people's poor or his people's imprisoned, it was everyone. And we see this in his ministry too, right? It's not like he just gave this one sermon and then moved on from it. We see that as, you, as people followed Jesus around, what they were upset with is that he did what he said. Yeah. You know, it's one thing if you just said this and then you walked around and just hung out with your own people. Peter got in a little bit of trouble for that, right? It's one thing if if... We say these vast things, these powerful things, and then we act like we were just kidding. But in Jesus, we don't see that at all. Look with me at, uh, at Mark 2. He meets this guy named Levi, this tax collector. He says, follow me. And however this all works, Jesus says, follow me. The guy leaves his job and goes and follows Jesus. It says in verse 15, and as he sat at the dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were also sitting with Jesus and his disciples. Just a second. Let's pause. I highly doubt that these people saw themselves as sinners in Jesus' presence. Because if that's how you feel like he's labeling you, you're probably not seated at the table. There's probably something else that Jesus is leaking that made them feel like they could sit with him. As he sat at the dinner in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were also sitting with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And when the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to the disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? They're really hung up on these roles, right? And Jesus heard this. He said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've come to call not the righteous... the sinners. He's come for those who need a physician. Now here's something that we need to pause on. If we don't need a physician, or if we think we don't need a physician, we will miss who Jesus truly is. And we may find ourselves making another Jesus in our image and bowing to that one. Jesus has come for those who need healing. Jesus has come for those who are sinners, who are in need of a physician. And then He's gathered together His people, and we call His people the church, right? Well we get confused about the church. Who are we? And why are we here? There's been some minutes where I've been in churches, and I've been a part of leading churches, I'm not exempt from this, that function like exclusive clubs. We have like insider language that if you haven't been with us for like four years, you have no clue what we're talking about. I went to a church once that had like a secret door, it was hard to find, and we thought that was really cool, where the neighborhood couldn't find us. What, What a great gift we were. You know what I mean, though? Sometimes where we're, we're sure that we have the best, whether it be teaching or music or children's or youth, whatever it is that makes us exclusive and awesome. Not that God doesn't deserve our best, but it was, as soon as we start to think we're elite, we become a club that nobody can reach out to. I've been in some churches and been a part of some churches that act like our role is to be the academy. We're there to make everybody smarter. And if you don't Know what we know? Well, then you're lesser. And so come be smart with us. And there's a lot of churches who do this. I've been a part of some of these churches. There's, there's some churches that I've visited that really were, are like hideouts. Like culture is just a giant war, so you just hide in this bunker and hope that Jesus comes back in like 10 minutes. And so we just hide together, and we, we sit in like the tornado pose, covering each other's back of their necks because we're sure that the world is going to destroy us in the next 10 minutes. But none of those is who the ch- Jesus called the church to be. What did he call us to be? Look at what he told his, his disciples. Even before the, the church functions, look at what he tells them to go do in, in Luke 10. He, he sends out the 70, not even just the disciples, but he sends them out and he He says this, whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you. Cure the sick who are there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So he's saying here, whatever's set before you, even if it's like not your favorite. Like even if it's raisin bread, which to me is the biggest waste of bread in the planet. (laughs) Eat it. Thankfully, nobody serves that. But whatever's set before you, eat that. Mm. Now, he's saying this to people whose heritage is Jewish, who took great pride in not eating wow. some things. Their identity was carved in like, oh, I don't eat that. Right. Oh, I do eat that. He's saying, no, go into the house. And they, if, they, if they serve you something, go eat it. Receive their hospitality. This isn't about you being comfortable, Church. Go be with them. And then he says, and cure the sick. This is to the 70, but this is to you and I. He says, go into a town, and when you see someone who's sick, cure them. Chew on that one for a little bit, church. Sometimes I think that means we buy medicine for somebody. Sometimes I think that means we pray for somebody and expect there to be a healing. Sometimes I think we expand our mind a little bit to realize that healing is much bigger than physical healing. And so we restore people to dignity. We work hard on behalf of somebody. We learn each other's names. We know people's stories. We care for one another. This last week I I got to be in in Guatemala seeing this ministry there, and there was this, this one particular church that was operating in this Space near a dump. And they had a, a ministry to the elderly. And elderly in Guatemala is real young because people die real young in this country. And the elderly are kind of forgotten because there's not enough food for the kids. 50% of the population is younger than 15 years old. There's not enough mo- food for the kids, and they're the future, so the elderly are just kind of forgotten. It. But this one church was reaching out to the elderly and cooking their best food twice a week for them, and and having medical care every week, and playing playing like little games with them, and spending all this time giving dignity to the elderly. And I kept thinking of the woman who broke perfume on, and poured it onto Jesus' feet. And for these people who have lived a long life and all of a sudden are becoming forgotten. There was dignity given and there was healing that was happening. We got to go sit with this one woman who you could tell as she told her story that there was a season of her life where she believed she was forgotten. And then as this healing came by these people simply eating a meal and knowing her story and coming to pick her up to bring her to the care point. All of a sudden, she remembered her name and who she was and her story, and it mattered again, and healing happened. That's the function of the church. Cure the sick who are there, and announce the kingdom of God has come near to you. He says, this is the role of the church. This is the point of the people of Jesus. We go and do the same work. Now, the hospital is meant to be a safe place to be sick and experience healing, right? At the hospital, you shouldn't have to pretend that you're not sick. You shouldn't have to go in there and be like, no, I'm fine. I'm absolutely good. That doesn't make any sense. But I think the things that keep people from the church are the same that keep people from the hospital. I don't like going to the doctor because there's... There's shame that I feel about how I got here. I'm the ideal weight of someone who's 6'7, and I'm 5'10. I don't want a doctor to go tell me that. I know. I know. You should do that. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. I know. But when you meet a doctor who has compassion and who speaks the truth to you, but is loving, okay. I can deal with this. When you meet somebody who says, I I see that you're sick. And I see that you even had a role and a hand in that. Well, let's talk of your healing and let's dream more on that end. Well, Okay, that changes the whole thing. When you go to a church that understands how you got where you are, even if it's your fault, that's a church worth going to. That's a space you can heal in but some won't walk in because they're sure that we'll shame them. That's on us. People don't walk into the church just like they don't walk into the hospital because they don't believe that there's a cure. Just don't think, oh, no, this is just the way life is. I told you the story before about when Nikki and I went to Ethiopia and, and the director who had all these degrees didn't know that you need to drink water and didn't know he lived his whole life with headaches until he started drinking water and being hydrated. He didn't know the result of dehydration, and he had just lived his entire life without water. He drinks some water, and there's no more headaches, and he can think clearly. He didn't even know there was a cure for that. He didn't even know that that was something wrong. We've got people all around us, inside and outside, who don't believe there's a cure and don't even know what's wrong. And yet Jesus says, I've come to heal. And he sent us to cure the sick. The last series we spent on our testimony, right? This is why. So we can go to somebody and say, hey, you know what? I didn't know. And then I met Jesus. And all of a sudden there's there's a healing and a freedom that I didn't know. Not like I'm walking perfect now. But all of a sudden there's hope where there was no hope. All of a sudden, there's peace where there's no reason to have any peace. All of a sudden, there's joy when circumstances determine that I feel something completely different. In this church, we have physical healings over and over again. I don't know if we know that yet. But I bet we have eight, ten stories of cancer being lifted, of mental illness being healed, of other things where we begin to see the kingdom of God at work. And this is why we tell our testimony, right? Right, right? Is to say, hey, this is for me and not because I'm special. Right. This, is, this is what Jesus does in our life. One of the things that keeps people from the church, that keeps people from the hospital, is they think the price is just too high. I don't want to go to a, a doctor because I just can't afford it. And when I think of my sin, there's no way I can pay that back. And then we hear the good news that we're not asked to. Then we hear the good news that Jesus has already paid it. It's prepaid. And so either you enjoy that and savor the gift. Or we miss out in, in pride and misunderstanding. Now, that's the hospital, but this week we're spending just a couple minutes on the ER. Each week we're going to spend on, on a different department in the hospital, and this week's the ER. This is when life goes horribly wrong, right? Where there's an accident or an injury. or This is where the symptoms have been ignored for way too long. And this is the role of a church like ours, I believe. See, we are called to be a mobile hospital. We're not to be afraid of emergencies. We're actually to expect them. I remember Anna's first seizure, it it was really long, like 90 minutes. It was terrifying. And we were in this small town that didn't know how to take care of little babies uh, with with seizures like that. They just don't see it. It's it's not common. And so they they put like an adult breathing tube in her and damaged her some and They put her on a helicopter and flew her to Minneapolis. It's like 90 minutes in a car. I don't know how long it is in a a helicopter. One of the things that you catch on is that helicopter talks to the ER. And the helicopter tells the ER what they're about to get. And you've seen this on all those incredibly real TV shows, right? (laughs) I watch Scrubs, so I know everything. But when she gets off that helicopter, they're ready. And they've got the information and they've got the resources they need and the right size tubes and the right uh, like machines and all of this kind of stuff to heal this little girl. And when we're in the ER, like they're getting ready to prepare, like they may not know how to do it. They may not know everything that it is, but they've got the tests ready and they've got, they're expecting people to come in with emergencies. That's why it's called that. Right? They're prepared. They've done the work and the drills. They've got the resources and they know where what is. This is what we are called to be. People who are not thrown off by emergency. We're to to be people who are ready to inherit people who are in spiritual emergency. That's who we're to be. We're to be this mobile hospital. When someone comes in and they're in crisis and they desperately need Jesus, we are ready to point them to Jesus. We're ready to walk them to him. And not just when they walk in here, but we're to be mobile. When we go out for Pastor Love and Action, when we go out into the community, we're to go as the mobile hospital. Not afraid of crisis, but prepared for it. That takes some mental work. That takes some spiritual work. If this is true, the question that I have for us is how is God inviting us to receive our community? Real practically. There are crises all around us, right? How is God pre- preparing us, and how is he inviting us to receive our community? What are are the ways that we're going to run towards people where just in our flesh we would probably naturally run the other way? Again, last week I, I saw this care point that the leader of it was educated in Switzerland. She said that she was hoping that she would marry a European man, and become filthy rich and hide out in the Alps. And instead, she mar- she's from Guatemala. She married a Guatemalan. And now she lives right next to the dump in Guatemala City. And he's a doctor, and they had every opportunity to go the other way. They had every opportunity to become somebody in the nation. But God pierced their heart for the children who are living literally in the dump. And the jobs of their parents are when a dump truck comes in, up to 20 hands go on the dump truck. And if you're one of the first 20 hands, you get to go through all the garbage. And so they walk with the dump truck until the tr- truck dumps. And then they go through the garbage and they're looking for food that they can eat that somebody threw away. Looking for clothing. They go through the sewage in case somebody had dropped a ring in the toilet. In okay, case so there's something. And so like we know stories of people mining for gold back in the day in California, they're mining through sewage. Hoping just maybe, just maybe, just maybe somebody dropped a diamond. These young children are living there. And this woman and the pastor that she works with and the church that they work with moved to the dump. Like a block and a half off of it. Because like these children have dignity and they don't know it. This isn't the life that God invited them into. God has more for them. They don't even know it. Her son was bullied at school and was tossed out a third-story window, fell onto a second-story roof, and passed away nine months ago. Carol's brokenhearted. Can't believe that this would happen. Her only son, she's weeping. We're weeping together. And she said, no kid should have that and no family should lose their child. And so... Uh, in Antigua, which is a much safer environment, they're building a school with apartments in, in memory of her son, David, and inviting families who have courage to move from the dump to go live in those apartments for free. They're giving them a job, and they can go to school in a space where there's a yard and there's no gangs and there's no, not as much violence and all that kind of stuff because she just believes that there's something more for these families. Than digging through sewage. And so this church has moved in and invited people into dignity and into healing in more ways than I can imagine, um, amongst her own tragedy, amongst all of this pain, and the kingdom of God is there. And that's the church. That's who we're invited to be. So for us, for you, and for me, what is God inviting us into this? to receive in in this community? What are some of the needs and the stories where we get to see God's healing? And for you, what do you need to do to be a part of this kind of church, this church that functions as one who belongs to the healer? The church that's an extension of Jesus that is the hospital. That's not afraid of the crisis of the people around. For some of us, it's time for us to allow Jesus to be Jesus. Allow him to be our Savior. Allow him to be our Lord where we obey him. But there's also this idea of allowing him to be our healer. If you remember in, when he met the man who was just lying down, he asked the question, do you want to get well? well yeah. He's not asking sarcastically. Right, right. He's not being mean. Right. We know how to be ill, right? Come on. We know how to be sick. We know how to be stuck. But he asks if this man can have some theological creativity and imagination. Well, can you imagine a life where you are well? Can you imagine a life where you are free? Do you want to be well? The man says yes, and all of a sudden, he's got to relearn how to spend his days because it was scripted before. Lay down. And now he gets to work. He gets to function. He's restored in society. All of these things, his life is completely other. For you, for me, if Jesus is our healer, do we want to get well? And what are the areas where we are not allowing him to heal us? Where is it that we need to have some creativity and imagination to picture our life healed? To picture our life free? It begins in us. If we're not allowing God to heal us, there's no way that we can invite him to heal our neighborhood. If we're not inviting Jesus to set us free, there's no way we can offer freedom to our neighborhood. Once he begins healing us, I really believe our task is to get off the gurney. You know, in the, in the hospital, you can just lay in, in that bed, and again, life can be pretty comfortable, and God might even bring healing to us, but again, we can just imagine, well, this is safe. This is the space that I was healed and it's time to get off the gurney and be a part of the people who are bringing the healing. You know, part of us being healed are bringing other people to Christ. Part of us living in the dignity of being sons and daughters of the God Most High is functioning in that way. It's not just not being stuck anymore. You know what I'm saying? The goal is is not just that we sin less. The goal is that we function in his kingdom more. And that we we get up off of the... If if God is making you well, if he is healing you, then there's no sense laying down as if you're not healed. If God is, is helping you to conquer your sinful nature, then it's no sense giving power over to the sinful nature anymore. It's time to get up. If God's brought you joy, then you don't have to live as if you're depressed anymore. If he's brought you peace, then those habits that you developed in anxiety, you can can let go of those and live in peace. If you have hope, then you can walk like you have hope. If there's freedom and healing, then live like someone who's freed and healed. And as we get off the gurney, we can usher people to the healer. You see, we're promised that every breath, that we will breathe in the kingdom. And in ways that I don't understand, at some point, this body will fail. But this eternity that I'm breathing now, I'll breathe forever. At some point, your body will fail. But the kingdom is here and is now and has begun. And when that body fails, you'll just know that kingdom more. And this invitation is not to an elite group. This invitation is not to those who are just super special. Like Jesus said, this is to all. So as I close this, I want to read read to you from the book of Romans. Confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For one believes with his heart and so is justified. And one confesses with the mouth and so is saved. The scriptures say, No one who believes in him will be put to shame. That shame that you feel when you walk in no one will be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all and is generous to all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And our Lord is our healer. And he's safe to call upon. And so in this series, we're gonna rediscover who Jesus is as this healer. We're gonna rediscover who we are as we look through what, who we are in light of this hospital. But I think that this morning, We need to pause a bit. A couple people are going to come up here to to pray if you'd like to receive prayer. And here's specifically a couple areas I I want to invite you into. You can receive prayer on anything. But for some of us, we might need to answer, Do you want to get well? We might need to answer, Yeah, I finally do. And that might be you. Some of us may need to say, Yeah, Jesus, you are my Lord. I don't even know all that that means. You are my Lord, you are my Savior. But you're my healer too. Others of us may have been laying on the gurney because that's where we began being healed and it's time to get off the gurney and go into what God has called us into next. And if that's you, I know that requires courage. So maybe you need to pray with somebody for courage. And some of us are being led reach into the community around us, to those who we work with, those who we live by and introduce them to our healer. And if there's a name or a face that you know that you want someone to pray with you for that person to know God's healing, to know his freedom, I want to invite you forward. I'm going to pray with you and we'll do that, okay? Jesus, thanks for who you are. There's so many different ways that I have played as if you're smaller. And played as if the calling on the church is smaller than it is. And yet I thank you that you're patient with me, you're patient with us. This space here that we call a church. We know that, that we are called to inherit the emergencies around us. I pray that you would prepare us You give us great courage and wisdom that we might reflect you and we may allow you to heal us heal the neighborhood around us so we might see your kingdom come and your will be done just like it was that day that you unrolled the scroll, just like it is in